Welcome into another edition of the Doug Russell Podcast, Packers Game Day Edition. It's the Packers and the New York Jets from Lambeau Field, the only noon kickoff at Lambeau all season long. Coming up, we'll hear some excerpts of my Packers game day program that you can hear on 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee and throughout the state of Wisconsin. We'll modify it just a little bit because we don't have the same time constraints that a traditional radio show would have. For example, we'll hear from Aaron Rodgers his entire news conference that he holds on Wednesday at his locker. I am usually in attendance. I was in attendance this past Wednesday as well, so we'll bring that to you in its entirety. We'll also hear from some interviews that Bill Schmidt and I did throughout the week on the Game Radio Network as well. We had a chance to catch up with Lance Allen, and also we discussed some of the important issues, not only surrounding the Packers, but also the entire National Football League. It's a Packers game day edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. This is Packers game day. 17-14, to Cowboys out in front. Packers trying for the go-ahead score. Starr begins the count. Takes the snap. He's got the quarterback sneak, and he's into the champion Green Bay Packers. The Vince Lombardi trophy is coming home where it started. Aaron Rodgers ducks it under center, drops to a knee, and time melts away from Super Bowl 45. The title is back in town. The Green Bay Packers are world champions of football. In this hour, we'll go inside the Packers team meeting rooms. On those fourth downs when it's cover zero, yeah, I know what it looks like. Everybody was talking about, oh, you could hand the ball off. Well, it looks like a punt rush. Strong bounce back um, week um, for sure. Um, just looking at what we can do better. Um, I think we're all honest with ourselves. I think after a loss, we put our egos aside and, and not point fingers and just look at internally how each room and how each individual player can get better. We'll go inside the locker room and take a look around the rest of the National Football League. Fourth and goal, inside the one. Tight formation, fields under center. He's got Herbert behind him. Motion man is Pettis to the far side. Handed off. Herbert trying to power in. Herbert work in the middle. No indication. And he's going to be short. Fourth and one. Wilson again from the gun. Two wides to the right. Gordon alone. Setback. One wide to the left. High snap. Wilson drops back. Looking. Looking. Fires end zone. Batted down and incomplete. And the Indianapolis Colts are going to win it here in Denver. Here's your host of Packers game day. Doug Russell. Last week was not what the Packers had in mind when they went to London. Right well to his right, Barkley takes, rolling the right side of the outside, untouched into the end zone. Right well with the block on the flank of the play, and the Giants have the lead 26 to 20. Rodgers in the shotgun, Aaron Jones to his right. Fourth and two, Green Bay, game on the line. Rodgers waits for the snap from Myers, gets it. Quick throw, right side of the ball, tipped up in the air, incomplete, and that is ball game. Give credit, you know, Winks, a guy I totally, I got a lot of respect for, and he outcoached us in the second half, and they outplayed us. There's a lot that factors into that, you know, everything from calls to execution to the momentum to defensive stops. We had chances, a lot of chances. So this one will weigh heavy on us on this flight back. That was then. This is now. And it's not the New York Giants, but the New York Jets flying into Green Bay. Just the way they coach the get off, coming off the football. 
They're penetrators up front. They've got talent. The one thing that jumps off the tape is they play with relentless effort, and that's always a choice. And I think they do a great job of getting that out of their players. I think Aaron Whitecotton's done a, a heck of a job there as the D-line coach, instilling that philosophy within that unit is evident on tape. You know, obviously, being three-two is kind of something very new for this organization in the past few years. So um, obviously, you know, we've had mistakes, and we know the few ones that we've had as well that we could have been better in those situations as well. So um, I think Coastal Forge has done a great job of really just cultivating everyone around here just to be able to work and keep growing every single day and not be stuck on the results of last week. Anytime you play against this defense that you know, kind of started out of the Seattle system, you know, it's predicated on guys flying to the football. So you got to be good with your eye discipline. You got to be able to look guys off, throw through windows, anticipate throws. It's the Packers and the Jets from Lambeau Field. This is Packers Game Day. An uncommon opponent, but one the Packers have fared well against. Green Bay having won three straight over the Jets, including their last home game, a 31-24 victory in 2014. Now, these games historically have been close. Each of the last three contests against the Jets have been decided by single digits. Speaking of close, it'll be the storyline you'll hear all day long, just how close the head coaches are, the best of friends. Matt LaFleur and Robert Sala, roommates at Central Michigan when they were coaching assistants, best men in each other's weddings. And then there's Sala's offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur, Matt's younger brother. Matt LaFleur and Robert Sala have met before across the field from each other, but never as head coaches in a regular season game. That all changes today at Lambeau. For more on what the Packers coach has up his sleeve for his best friend, we lead off with Packers Hall of Famer on the field and in the booth, Larry McCarron, who's with the Green Bay Field Boss. Matt, after that logistical nightmare known as London, are things getting back to normal? Yeah, I think everybody's kind of back in their normal rhythm. Uh, We had a a different Tuesday and Wednesday, but um, we're back at it, and, and, and it's just practice as usual. We don't see the Jets very often. Can you give us a little primer? What are you seeing on tape? I see a team that competes really, really hard, and they've got a ton of young talent. Um, it'll be a great challenge for us. They've done a really good job of defensively of getting the ball out, of flying around. I think they have nine takeaways on the season. And then offensively, they've got the, the two rookie, Garrett Wilson and, and Brees Hall, and everybody knows the quarterback is, is a playmaking guy that, that can extend plays, and um, he's such a natural thrower. So uh, Zach Wilson, we'll have our hands full with him as well. Are you looking forward to a noon game as much as I am. <laughs> Those noon games are always uh, they're always fun. Hopefully our, our fans have an, enough time to pregame, though, and be nice and loud for us. Uh, certainly it's going to be great to be back home with our fan support, and um, we need everybody to be really loud. Thank you, Matt. Good luck against the Jets, and that's it for Drive Time. Thank you for listening. Larry, thank you. So that's the Packers' side of the ball. But what about the Jets? Zach Wilson, third and goal at the Dolphin 5. With Bruce Hall to his right. Takes the snap. Drops back to throw. Looks over the middle. Dodging tackles. Runs to his right. Dives for the end zone. Lost the football. But he broke the plane. That's a Jet touchdown. Zach Wilson got to the top before the ball popped out. It's time now for our Eye on the Enemy segment. You know, it's got to be hard when the enemy is your best friend and your brother. 
another. But that's Matt LaFleur's reality today as the Jets come to town. We'll hear from Mike LaFleur in a second. But head coach Robert Sala, who goes back to their Central Michigan days with Matt LaFleur, was also the best man in his wedding. He's now the head coach of the Jets. He was asked this week about the iconic stadium that his team will play in today. Going to Lambeau for you and I assume for a lot of us is you know familiar, but for a lot of your young players, obviously they haven't been there before. Do you, do you want them to kind of appreciate being in a place like that, or just kind of treat it like a, yeah, like a little bit of both? I mean, it, uh, I'd be. I think anyone would be lying to you, even me, going to Lambeau as many times as I've gone. I think it's it's still such a treat to go over there. Um, it's one of the most iconic stadiums in football. Um, so enjoy it. But when the helmet goes on and you cross the white, it's all the same, and it's time to go get a football game. Three key statistics to keep in mind for the New York Gents today. 17 of their 21 total quarterback pressures in Week 5 was when they rushed four or fewer. Also, the Jets' five rushing touchdowns last week. That was tied for second most in franchise history, so their rushing game is getting going. And quarterback Zach Wilson went a perfect 11 for 11 for 93 yards on passes of fewer than 10 air yards. So keep in mind that he's very efficient in the short passing game. Now in charge of Zach Wilson is offensive coordinator Mike LaFleur, Matt's younger brother. I talk to my brother the most out of anyone outside of my wife and, and obviously my kids as, you know, they're, they're seven and five, so they don't have phones yet. Uh, but uh, you know, as I FaceTime, it, it goes straight to them, and, and then I talk to Matt quite a bit. Um, I don't, I don't really talk to my folks until about Friday, uh, for obvious reasons. So um, I wouldn't really know. I'm sure that they're dealing with everything. I'm sure my wife's dealing with some stuff because I know she's traveling out there. Uh, but we're, I'm just focused on going against this defense and putting our guys in a, in a good position. I truly mean that. I'm saying that um, he's staying away from the house because of. Uh, all the uh, the people coming by and all of that just kind of focus on like the task at hand. Do you know how many people are coming to the game? I, I don't. I don't. I mean, I you know, I, I, I we don't have a huge family, but you know, got a decent sized family, the aunts and uncles and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I don't know exactly. I just you know, there's quite a few, and again, I know he's focused. Uh, the only the only difference is we're just. You know, unfortunately, not talking as much this week. You know, uh, a lot of times we're not even talking about football. Usually on Mondays we do. Um, you know, as as he critiques, you know, my play calling or that you should have done this more. You should, and it's all constructive criticism. That's, you know, it's he's he's just trying to help. You know, and it's um, and I appreciate that. And that's what kind of stuck about Monday is it was we didn't do that. So I would like to know what I could have done much better in his opinion from Sunday. I probably would have countered with something. Uh, we didn't get to do that, but we'll definitely be able to get to do that Monday. You know, and. Uh, um, every week after that. Mike, is there a part of you, I mean, I know you're obviously dialed into the game and stuff like that, but can you step back and relish this kind of thing and how unique it is? And, and, uh, I, I, or will you maybe after? So? No, I mean, I, I truly, it's, you're, you're so focused on just your players and attacking this defense. And, and until, I, you know, I obviously I knew, knew this was going to happen in terms of the questions and stuff like that, and, and I respect that. But uh, my mindset is just solely on these players, putting Zach and the rest of the offense in a position uh, to go out and get the results that they want. Um, you know, do we maybe talk about it sometimes in the offseason? Sure. Does my mom not like, you know, this game? Sure. Uh, but this is the sixth time we've played against each other. Obviously, now the third different venue with it. But, um, you know, we're kind of used to this. And, uh, you know, it's again, it's... I'm f- focused on our offense versus their defense. Is that you different, on, though, because you're in a different position now? I mean, the other times you might have been uh, passing a quarter and whatever, but now this is your offense against your brother. 
No, honestly, it, maybe it is, but maybe my family feels different. But for me, it's uh, again, you just. I'll see him Sunday, which is cool because during the season uh, we spend a lot of time with each other in the summer. We, we you know, try to see as much as we can uh, from February to, to June before we do break for the summer. We probably spend too much time together in the summer, uh, if you ask our wives. Uh, but then once we go back to work, unless we get joint practices, um, we don't get to see each other. And so that's the difference. We get to say hi and, you know, dap it up real quick Sunday and, um you know, that's that. Have you had to be more guarded in recent weeks or recent months just in, in your normal conversations about personnel and X's and O's? Not, not, yeah, I mean, I, I th- that's a good question because I do, th- you know, I, I'm guessing it was in the back of both our minds as this was getting a little bit closer, but uh, um, you're so focused on the week at hand that, you know, you're not really concerned about what's about to, to lie ahead in week six or, or whatever week we're already in. So, um, you know, I think we probably held maybe something back, but I don't, I don't know. When you got the Green Bay job or when um, Mac got the Green Bay job, you stayed in San Francisco. <laughs> I assume there was probably an opportunity to go work with Matt. Why did you choose to go to San Francisco? I mean, why didn't you follow him to Green Bay? What was the, the reasoning or thought process? Yeah, um, that's a fair question. I, You know, I... Um, somewhat I guess had an opportunity there was a discussion between us but but at the same time um, I had a awesome awesome job in San Francisco we are two years in um, I won six games the first year won four the second and we felt like we were we were getting close and that third year a lot of things fell our way and ended up getting to the Super Bowl which was really cool but uh, for our guys um, but there, there was a lot of unfinished stuff that that needed to get done in San Francisco Kyle Shanahan is the one that gave me the opportunity in Cleveland in 2014. Um, I was in the receiver room that first two years in San Francisco. He was moving me over into the quarterback room to work directly more with him. Uh, And it was the greatest two years I could have as a coach uh, to be just right next to him every single day going through the plans and and the amount of responsibility he put on myself uh, and Mike McDaniel with the run game. So, um, you know, was there an opportunity? Whatever, it didn't matter. I just know that it all worked out for the best for, for everybody. I think it was perfect for him and the staff he hired. Uh, and it was, um, I, I guess, selfishly for me, I was very, very happy in, in San Francisco those two years. Well, I was probably telling you to think that. about it at the time, but when you were a teenager and you used to come home uh, and you'd see Robert and, and Matt in your house, how crazy is it now that you guys are all where you are? Yeah, that's a good one because that bothered me because they would always be over and because they didn't have cable and they were a mile down the street. And so they were going to, you know, take the TV over or whatnot. They were just going to be around. And uh, especially in the summer, I'll, I'll go even deeper when they would be, uh, you know, getting their little suntan in before they went into in the adult area of Mount Pleasant, Michigan, wherever that might be. So, um, but uh, no, it was. Um, I don't know. You didn't know. I was just in high school, and uh, it is—it's wild that I've known him that long. And, and um, you know, I was dating my wife now, Lauren, uh, back in high school too. So Lauren is, is known Sal as long as I have. Um, you know, so it's just a cool friendship that they have, a cool bond. It's—it's it's not uncommon in terms of, I mean, the guys that you GA with that you're in that sharing that office with and doing doing that GA work, that quality uh, quality control work. Um, a lot of times those guys do become your best friends for obvious reasons. Uh, you're, you're there first, you're, you're leaving last, um, you're shoveling driveways, you're doing a lot of different things, right? That, that you just kind of, it comes with the territory. So, um, you know, you could kind of tell they were going to be very close early on and obviously it's, it's held true and they've, they got a good friendship. 
On Wednesday, Matt LaFleur said his house will be overrun the rest of the week, but his game plan was to spend as much time in the office as possible. Welcome back to Packers Game Day. Here's Doug Russell. Welcome back. It's the Packers and the Jets today at Lambeau Field, the only noon kickoff of the year in Green Bay. Earlier this week on the game, Packers OT co-host Bill Schmidt and I dove into the Packers' inconsistent offense. But through oh, the yeah. first five games, you see flashes from Romeo Dobbs, but not consistent. He's a rookie. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about it. Sure. Christian Watson has yet to get his get on the field consistently and then to make an impact. Again, he's a rookie. We knew that was going to come. But, man, what a difference number 17 has proven out to make, at least uh, through the first quarter poll of the season. Yeah, and, and what difference he's made here. What difference he, he relatively has not made for the Las Vegas Raiders, which I think some are surprised with. Uh, others, I think, Doug, watching the move and watching the league as much as, as all of us do, there's there, there's going to be turnover. There's going to be guys that come in and out. Uh, and, and chemistry is a fluid process in the NFL because mm-hmm. the NFL really does stand for not for long, right? Guys yeah. that you believe you're building incredible chemistry with in the past game, run game, what have you, uh, they could be gone in two weeks and then you never play with them again. So that that's a tough reality of the yeah. business. Carr and and Adams had this remarkable chemistry in college. I still think do. Uh, the, the crazy thing for, for me, and I think a lot of people that anticipated this move and, and bought in throughout the last four to five months, was that Devontae Adams' workload wasn't going to drop off. No. That I, it wasn't going to change. I mean, he has got to be thinking about how many times he's seen the pigskin through the first five weeks going, Man, what the heck happened? I like the lifestyle out here. I'm sure enjoy the heat, but my fingers are getting cold because I'm not touching this rock enough, Doug. I mean, I it's, it's crazy to see where the production level was, and you still see the talent and production he has in store yeah. when when tapped into. But I'm, I'm for one, floored that the Raiders have not been able to utilize that in the past game like they haven't. I mean, they're one and four. Sure, they could be a, a much better team if a couple of plays go their way. But that's the NFL. If you can't win close games, you're going to find yourself on that side of the equation more times than not. And they didn't help themselves last night. No, and Josh McDaniels has made some questionable calls as the the play caller and head coach of the Raiders in the early going as well. You go back to the Cardinals game where they had that game won and they let it slip through their fingers. And then last night, listen, I think the football fan in all of us likes, yeah, he's got balls. He's going for it for for the two-point conversion. Mm, 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 The football mm, mm. fan loves that. Yep. But if you're, you know, your friend Mark Davis, if you yeah. are any Raiders fan, you're like, you know what, maybe that wasn't the right call. I understand what he was doing, but was that the best call running Jacobs up the middle? And I think Kansas City probably stacked the box to try to stop For Jacobs, sure. and we saw what the result was. Well, and Doug, I, I saw that a couple of different times last night. The, the two-point conversion is one of them. Uh, and, and the passing situations on third and short and fourth and short yeah. for the Raiders, uh, I, I also thought were somewhat symptomatic as to why uh, the the calls maybe on the goal line went the way they did. Now the lip reader police are out. I don't know if you've seen the Sapruder <laughs> film of, of Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur talking across. I wish I had the chance to just dig up those clips too. Wouldn't that be awesome? I wish I knew how to lip read. I, Sit, I just don't. Man, sit in a basement and just dissect every single bit of sideline footage you can. Uh, but it looks like he says... Uh, you want to pass here? And Roger's like, well, well I mean, you ask me. I mean, Is the Pope Catholic? You ask me if you want to give me the ball in this situation. 
Thank you. Yeah. Right. And and that's where I wonder if some of that's going on with Devontae Adams right now. I knew, I know, and heard some of that going on with Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. Mm-hmm. And as you hear this this moment in the NFL season, I saw I heard Kuhn talking about it with with Butchie as to where your team starts to stack up, where you are in the process of being the team you're gonna be come after Thanksgiving, and once it really starts counting towards postseason time. These are all banked wins and good fortune numbers to put on up. But you do start figuring out where you settle in mm-hmm. and where you're fitting in into the offense at this point. And, and at now, guys will stop going, Doug, from good soldiers and letting things start to play out. Once we get to week six or seven, people are going to start thinking of, all right, this is about half the season I've been in this role, and they're probably going to keep me here from this point forward. So... The the good soldiers we've seen so far, I wonder if we start hearing more conversation of, uh, maybe like Braylon Allen said, it'll be a little bit more covertly and covertly on the sidelines to uh, to DC or OC Bobby Ingram. Hey, get me the dang football! Well, yeah, and I you know if you want to look at from the Badger standpoint as well as the rest of college football, just for a second, and we're talking about the NFL, but the urgency is here. Right in college football, you look at all the teams that have made coaching changes, including Wisconsin, Colorado changed their coach, Arizona changed their coach, Nebraska mm-hmm. changed their coach, Nebraska. Georgia Tech changed their coach. The number of coaching changes that we've already seen, and now Matt Rule is the first one to walk the plank in the NFL in Carolina. You can't say that's still early. It's not early anymore. No, it's not. We start to get out of that part of the season, uh, and and things really do start to take shape. Uh, Tim and the Shaw uh, talked about what what you mentioned, Doug, of of Devontae Adams leaving the sideline. If you haven't seen it, cameraman uh, moves in front of Devontae as he's exiting the field uh, with room. Like there's there's people saying, oh, he walks right in front of him. He doesn't cut him off in that standpoint. He walks in front of him. Devontae has a chance to. Take a deep breath, not realize it or care or not want to, you know, two hand shove the cat to the ground. But uh, it ended up being the most vicious hit, uh, I think, during the game. I mean, it unbelievable. It was the and it was the only one that went unflagged. Yeah, I was going to say he didn't get thrown out of the game. The game was over. But you know what? What I saw from Devontae Adams is a couple of things. Listen, we've all accidentally run into somebody. Yeah, that no does doubt. happen. What Devontae did was he put his hands out shoved him to the ground, and then kept going. Kind yeah, of looked at him walking, on the ground yeah. and then walked away. Yeah, so that's, he, It's one thing to truck a guy. Yeah, you know, and no that, doubt. that happens, and that's an accident. You truck a guy, you you like, oh, sorry, you help him up. Mm-hmm. Are you okay? Does, no, that was... Any, and it was shoved, it was two hands shoved to the ground, I'm, I'm leaving. And it was also moments after you saw him spike his helmet on the sideline after him and Hunter Renfro ran into each other. All of this in the middle of the Kansas City Chiefs flexing their muscle, letting everybody know that uh, yeah, Tyree Kill can go down to Miami. Doesn't matter. No, no. We, we still we still got that dude mm-hmm. under center at quarterback. Good and, tight end too. and this guy in 87, Doug Russell, who seven catches, 25 yards and four <laughs> scores. I mean, it is a remarkable stat line that as we watch the, the Packers this weekend, say, man, just feel like they don't throw the ball downfield much. They didn't feel like everything's inside of five, seven, ten yards yeah. downfield. That was all Travis Kelsey was seeing last night outside of one deep uh, target that essentially looked like a throwaway. Man, when you can know where to get open in the zone, they'll find you, and Pat finds him every time. Yeah, I hear what you're saying about the inside slants that the Packers tend to run right now, but then there's also that three and out where 
Aaron just overthrew Dobbs at least twice mm-hmm. on that same series. And, and that felt quick three and out. And that felt to me like Mahomes' last throw of the game where he throws it to McKinnon. He rolls out and it's third and one and they throw a deep ball and he wasn't even close. Yeah. It's like, man, where? It's, like, it's third and one. Higher percentage There's shots lapses. are probably, yeah. There's there's probably a better decision. But to then make on from them the play on the caller. other side, they're fourth and one, third and one, throwing deep balls, scoring touchdowns. It's it's wild to see. But to to the point, I mean, there's there's a lot of guys doing a lot of different execution ways, and uh, the deep balls weren't the ones working last night. It was anything underneath. Yeah, and again, you know, you're, you're the Raiders. You, you hit on a couple of those, but they're still one and four. Another topic of conversation this week was how to hit the quarterback. This topic reared its ugly head again this week in Kansas City. In case you missed it, there was a controversial roughing the passer penalty called against Kansas City's Chris Jones during the Week 5 Monday Night Football Contest against the Raiders. Then the league backed it up. The NFL's officiating office sending a video to all 32 teams on Wednesday in which Senior Vice President of Officiating and Administration Perry Fuel defended the call. In the video, Fuel narrated as a replay of Jones' strip sack of Raiders quarterback Derek Carr was being shown. The narration was quoted as this. The Kansas City defender executes his rush plan in his effort to sack the quarterback. He lands with his full body weight on the dive to the ground. A quarterback in the pocket in a passing posture gets full protection until he can defend himself. This was a properly called foul for roughing the passer. Bill Schmidt and I dove into that controversy as well. Yeah, I think there has to be a happy medium, right? And if you're not going to allow the quarterbacks to be hit, then do what they do in soccer or volleyball. There's one guy on the field that has a different color jersey. I know they do that, obviously, in the preseason sure. or in the, the scrimmages. They do that in practice. So, you know, if Aaron Rodgers is wearing a red jersey. You do not hit Aaron Rodgers. I hope it doesn't come to that in the NFL, but that's kind of the direction that it seems like it's headed because of the exact same things that you say. And... You're right. I mean, that's why they backed up the Brinks truck to Aaron Rodgers' Malibu house and said, how much? What's it going to take? Mm-hmm. We need you for a season or two. Three would be great. because, And it's not even a knock on Jordan Love. It's we know what we have in 12. We're not ready to turn the page on that yet and Correct. go to 10. And we have the money. We'll figure it out. We'll pay for it down the road. Uh, we'll kick the uh, proverbial. Now they have the cash on hand. It's just salary cap wise. There's going to be a dead hit whenever Aaron Rodgers does choose to retire. But that's why when you have that asset, you do everything to get and keep that asset. That's why even like a team like the Arizona Cardinals, when they gave just stupid money to Kyler Murray because sure. they figured, you know what, this is the best we're going to have. Deshaun Watson, you look at what the Cleveland Browns shoved at Deshaun Watson and what they gave up to the Texans for Deshaun Watson because they think that he can be the guy moving forward for the next decade or so. They're fresh. You're right. They're precious, hard-to-get commodities. And when you've got one, you're going to do everything you can to protect it, and that includes the league. And the league is doing so, and I don't fault them. They do not want optically what happened to Tua Tungavailoa to happen mm-hmm. again to a young a man percent. who people love and like. He's a great young kid to be stumbling off the field and fearing that he's not going that he's going to have severe brain damage for mm-hmm. the rest of his life. Yeah. Um. But I, I. But you have to help these guys, Doug. This game is too good. It's too fast. There's too much money on the line. For me personally to understand why we leave so much subjectivity in the hands of these seven officials, right? Like in in every single game, there are 
There are million-dollar calls, not in terms of what I talk about with gambling and things like that. There are, but but that part of it's one thing. But these dudes' livelihood is at stake, yeah. right? Players' livelihoods at stake. Coaches' livelihoods are at stake. So there's too much money involved. Ticket sales, guys, down the line, these organizations are too big to let that be a, a fault and, and to have those change games. The other part of it is, and why our J. Henry Sons Twitter poll question of the day today uh, stands the way it is, should and do you want the NFL to make roughing the passer reviewable? Because I think there's there's too many opportunities and too many spots in pro sports. We see this happen, mm-hmm. right? This isn't uncharted territory that the NFL will be going into, and they've kind of done it before. One thing that I think NFL owners have to learn to come to grips with, and they do to a certain extent, but they don't do it fully, is that truly... And I mean this with every fiber of my being. For an NFL team, money should never be an object because it's not. There's no owner in the NFL that's not making a boatload of cash every single year. All you have to do is look at the Packers' financial statements every year because private owners, they don't have to disclose that stuff. The Packers do, and they're turning a pretty profit every single year. So if you add another guy, if you make officials full-time officials, which has been talked mm-hmm. about for generations, yep. here's another thing, and I know it wasn't it doesn't come into play last night because it was a grass field, how there are still turf fields in the NFL with as much money as these guys are being paid and the money that's invested into these guys. Every field, even if you play in a dome, should be either a retractable field, but it should be a grass field. Mm-hmm. They, they do that in European soccer, and they do it for a reason. In college, I get it. The marching band practices on the field. This is the NFL we're talking yeah, about. This is different. This, this is, is different. different. There, are, it is a multi every single year billion dollar operation. Money should never be an object. And sometimes I feel like these guys are trying to save a nickel here and there and, and trying to go on the cheap when they shouldn't. Because listen, everybody's making a profit. Yeah, we can't be pinching pennies in the NFL. We we see what the the league cha- uh, churns in cash wise, Doug, year in and year out. We can't be pinching pennies, right? That's why it, it's laughable that certain teams like the Cincinnati Bengals, until this past year, when people realized it and started putting public pressure onto it, didn't have a free freaking indoor practice facility. How is that possible? Man, I played D3 football, and, and a large majority of D3 schools are now having indoor practice facilities or having somewhere. There are high schools that have it. Yeah. For there to be an NFL team that didn't, it, it does, to your point, show that like even at this stage, how are we pinching every dollar when we know there's game-changing dollars being brought in week in and week out into the NFL. Bill Schmidt and I earlier this week on the game. You'll hear from Bill after today's game with Drew Olson on Packers OT. Welcome back to Packers game day. Here's Doug Russell. As we continue our march toward today's noon kickoff, WNFL's Mark Daniels will join me at the top of the hour inside the retro living room outside of Rush Expo. He takes another deep dive into the relationship between today's two head coaches. On Friday, Packers OT co-host Bill Schmidt and I caught up with TMJ4, Milwaukee sports anchor Lance Allen, and we asked him what he saw last week, first half versus second half, against the Giants. We can now look back on other games and stuff like that. It kind of was similar with the Vikings game, although the Vikings game they got behind, that was the difference, but it seemed like there was energy to begin, and the defense like kind of took it to the Vikings' offense and was like pressuring the quarterback early on, and then it kind of went away. So you're right. I 
I've had people, everything from, do you think they had tired legs? And it's like, well, okay, you don't rest as well going over to London, even if it's a chartered plane and things like that. But you can't use that as an excuse. It's just the Giants had a very good game plan. They did what they needed to do to win. They executed it well. They play well for Brian Dable. And once again, you know, you and Doug uh, and me are all less to, to once again answer question or try to, are they going to consistently run the ball, and what is the mix going to be going forward when you have 38 pass attempts and you have, what, like 20 rushing plays? I think it was 13 for Jones, 6 for Dylan, and one end around or one reverse for, for Watson. I, I, you can't have that on a consistent basis and expect to win all the time. Well, I go back to the turning point of the game, which for me was right after the Giants had scored the, uh, another one of their three long sustained touchdown drives. The Packers get the ball back, pass, miss, pass, miss, pass, pass miss, pass. kick the ball oh. back. Three and out, three passes that didn't come close to connecting. The uh, you know barely any time came off the clock because the, the the clock was stopping on the incomplete passes and the defense, which had just been gassed because they had been on the field for the last six minutes, they've got to drudge back out there and try to do it again. To me, that was the turning point of the game. Yo, and I agree, Doug. I was like bewildered. I'm like, pass, 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 punt, and two of those passes were longer passes. Like what? No, like yeah. I, I, I get the fact that there are times where you feel like you have a matchup and you want your quarterback to have the ability and have the option to audible out of plays or see certain things or whatever, but there has to be a balance. And clearly you can't tell me going into every single game that that's the, the run-pass ratio split that they want and whatever, and that's why I always caution people when they say, oh, the play calling stinks. Well, do you know who called the play and what the play that was run was actually, you know, was it checked into? Was it was it the play that was called? Whatever. There's a lot of different factors involved, and I think they just need to be more on the on the same page when it comes to that. As you look at the defense, and, and you mentioned the aggressiveness early in a couple of these games, Joe Barry mentioned that they're going to be a little bit more aggressive going forward. Do you think they're just seeing the same as the fans are, or maybe listening to the gripes of fans and saying, hey? We got all this speed and athleticism on the outside, Lance. Why don't we use some of it? Well, Billy, I would say that honestly, coaches don't listen on the outside very much. Like they, they don't even know what Twitter is half the time and stuff like that. But I will say that that's probably what they need to do more of. And then the other thing is, and I don't know if it's going to get appreciably better. We will have to wait and see as the season goes along. But you guys saw it when it came down to December and January and the end of the year, the where the Packers were vulnerable was on the ground, the run defense, because the Joe Barry system is a lot of quicker, smaller guys. They get to the ball, they create turnovers, they get after it, but a team that's, that is disciplined in running the ball can take advantage of that. And we've seen that multiple times this year. I think the Vikings, 4.5 per carry. The Bears, 6.7. And I would argue that they abandoned the run when they got way behind or got behind, but they abandoned the run early. Uh, 5.1 for the Patriots. It's in, in the Giants game, it ended up being 4.4, but at one point it was around the 4.9 area. So that's one thing that they have to shore up. The other thing is where Saquon Barkley got him. Wayne Larvey had a great stat from Pro Football Focus. Right across the middle, uh, you know, crossing routes, whatever, the Packers are the worst in the NFL. They've done a lot of good things defensively, but one of the things that they're not good at is that crossing route right in the top part of the zone, right in the middle part of the field. 
somehow, some way, they've got to have a linebacker or safety come up or something to stop those crossing routes because that's right now where the defense is, is leaky. And, and you talked about Joe Barry's defense being one that's predicated on creating turnovers. Uh, they're not right now. That's a problem, too. Yeah, five overall, What Doug, in you know, the five games, essentially. And you're right. I mean, the more opportunities that you give your offense – to, you know, even if it's one more time a game or, you know, if it's really a good game, two more times per game, you're giving your offense and Aaron Rodgers more opportunities at the plate. That's a good thing, and you're right. They're not doing that either. So if you have these longer drives, you're out on the field, obviously time of possession way in favor of the Giants in the second half, that, that that's a recipe for, for disaster. And, uh, you know, but we can't hang it all on the defense either. I keep kind of looking at it both ways, guys, because – the offense didn't score any points. They were gifted two points on a safety. It's really hard in the NFL to, I don't care what defense you are, that if, if, if your offense doesn't score, it's hard to win in the NFL that way. DMJ4's Lance Allen. Time now for our QB1 segment. Aaron, how is your thumb and how are you doing? Yeah, thumb's all right. Uh, it was nice to get a day off today, do a little rehab. Um, but, you know, I'll... Uh, Trying to get back out there to practice tomorrow and see how it feels and be fine by Sunday, I'm sure. How do you rehab a thumb? That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, you know, a lot of different modalities they got in there from, uh, you know, stem and laser, uh, all these other contraptions they got. So it was, you know, the whole gamut today with Nate in there. Uh, but it was good, uh, good hour and a half session, uh, you know, feeling better. Right when you came up, I saw you kind of shake it out a little bit. Were you concerned that maybe it was something worse initially? Well, I mean, in the moment, you're still kind of uh, got the adrenaline going. Once the adrenaline wore off and got on the bus, got back to the airport on the plane, I I knew that it was uh, banged up a little bit. But it's gotten better since then every day. How many times a season when you're in the pocket, you know, a guy's helmet's right where your hand is when you finish a throw? Does that happen a couple times a year? Is it? things that you think about you know, to try to avoid that? No, not really. I mean, there's some things out of your control. I broke my index finger in 2004 at a start, uh, sorry, 2003 at a start against Illinois on a half roll, you know, throwing a backside post, you know, by my right guard with 6-8, and that's just stuff happens, you know, you don't plan for it, but I was able to play through it and finish the season, and you know, there's always those things that can happen. You know, a guy goes up to bat a pass down, you might catch a finger here and there, but uh, I've banged up most of my fingers on both hands, so uh, kind of used to it. Are you able to tell, being used to it, if it will affect your throwing without actually throwing, or is that just something you're still going to find out when you can actually throw? I mean, since, uh, since Monday, I've just been working on uh, my grip and seeing how that was, you know, that was progressing. But it, like I said, it's gotten better every day, and I'm uh, going to try and get back out there tomorrow. Considering the way this defense was looked during training camp, uh, has it surprised you at all that it's taken them some time to find their footing? I think they've played pretty good for the most part. I think as a team, we've been inconsistent in all three phases at times. Haven't put it all together. Um, you know, But we have a lot of talent on that side of the ball. There's a lot of guys having really good seasons. We just need consistency in four quarters from both sides of the ball, I think. Why do you think it's it's been difficult to find that consistency, especially because in the past it's just that hasn't been as much of an issue? Well, I think it's always been an issue, but it's masked by certain things. And when you're creating a lot of turnovers, that can mask uh, complacent uh, 
stretches in football games on both sides of the ball. We haven't uh, forced a ton of turnovers on defense. We've turned it over uh, seven times on offense. You know, usually after five weeks, we're you know anywhere from you know low single digits to almost double digit and and. Uh, you know, plus minus and the turnover ratio. We've been so good at taking care of the football for so long. So we got to get back to taking the ball away. And, and last game, we, we took care of it for the most part. We had a couple of balls out, but we recovered them. Um, but we got to, you know, that can really uh, kind of gloss over a lot of inefficiencies at times uh, when you're creating turnovers and then getting short fields on offense. Hopefully it's better by Sunday, but with your thumb hurting, is it good to know that you have Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon in the backfield? Yeah, for sure, but I still got to be able to throw a little bit. Um, but I feel good about uh, the prospects of that. I mean, uh, I've been blessed with uh, big, strong hands all my life, and I expect to be out there uh, throwing it like normal. Do you have any better feel for what I asked you after the game about why you guys are not hitting out some of those balls after watching? Like that? No, I think it's a lot of details. You know, whether it's. Uh, the specific specifics on the coaching points of it or the guy's recall of those things, we're just not quite hitting the right spots on, on some of those routes. Um, some of it's feel, for sure, for some of those guys. But I look at a route like uh, Sammy ran against the Bears, which wasn't really the paper route. It wasn't the route on paper, but he felt it, the angle, and, and ran a great route and was wide open. Um, there's opportunities for some of those instinctual adjustments within a play that uh, that we can have and if we get that you know we'll probably start hitting those also you know on a few of those just the timing's been off you know we're making moves on five steps sometimes when it's seven step timing uh, or the vice versa we're making them too deep sometimes when it's quicker timing so we just got to all get on the same page is the ball going consistently where you want it to go on those downfield passes for the most part yeah everything going on in Denver, I'm just wondering, you had so much more success your second and third year working in Hackett's system. Can you relate it all to what Wilson's struggles right now? Is it just a tough offense to kind of get the hang of that you need to need time? Or? Well, it's tough when you've been in a different style of offense for sure. Um, you know, Hack's my boy. I love him. Uh, not sure exactly what he's running. When he was here, we were running Matt's system. You know, this is, this is the Shanahan system down through to all the different iterations of various coaches who are now head coaches running the system. Uh, Nate's been around a lot of different systems. He grew up around the West Coast offense. So I'm sure it's a blend of West Coast concepts, Shanahan concepts, stuff he did in Buffalo and Jacksonville. Um, so, you know, it's it's always tough when you're changing the verbiage. Um, you know, we had you know kind of an up and down year the first year and then really took off uh, the second year. Back to the deep ball stuff, Aaron. Is it going to be harder and harder to run an offense if you just have to throw short all the time? Not really. We just want to be efficient, Bill. You know, wherever we're getting the ball down the field, this is how we're going to do it. Uh, we'd obviously like to hit some of those chunk plays. A lot of them have been off-schedule stuff. It's been, you know, second, third window stuff, uh, uh, on-the-move stuff. We've got to start hitting some of those in-the-pocket things. we get opportunities. But a lot of it's just been the little details in some of the routes. And you mean the receiver's not being on the same page? I guess I'm just wondering, though, are defenses crowding you guys a bit more, knowing that you guys have completed a lot of It just depends. I mean, there's been there's been a few games where there's a lot of too high. Last week uh, was a mix of both. It just depends on what we're doing. I mean, team's going to try and take away Aaron and, and A.J. for sure. But we have a lot of different things we can do, not just against uh, seven-man box, but against eight-man box. And, 
know, we just got to, you know, when we, when we run the ball well and stick to it, that's going to give us more opportunities for some of the down-the-field stuff, I think. How do you teach guys the instinctual feel on the, on those deep balls when they're new to you and they haven't had a lot of reps? Well, you got to rep it, then you got to show it. You know, you got to show some of those clips of, and then be able to coach what's going on, you know, on those on those clips. So you, um, you know, I've always said there's a paper offense and there's an on-the-field offense, and and we just have to transfer some of those, and then uh, the expectation of what's going to happen out there, allowing our instincts instincts to kind of take over when uh, it's not kind of cookie cutter like it is on the on the paper. What do you mean? Like, is, is it more difficult? You said on McAfee yesterday that you came over and, and you had a play he wanted to run on third down, and he had a play he, maybe he wanted to run. Is that conversation in that 40-second span or that 20-second span where you guys are talking about the next play? Is that difficult? No, I think it's, it gets easier, you know, when there's a the trust there about things that have been done. Um, you know, I think there's a number of different calls throughout the game uh, that we could have executed better, uh, even in that situation there. You know, I think it's a good learning experience. It hate, it sucks that you got to go through an L to, to deal with that, but um, you know, there's a lot of trust on both sides. Randall had himself a day Sunday. It was the most catches he had in a game in a long, long time. Was there something the Giants' offense was doing different to open that up? Not really. I mean, he got a ball on the uh, scramble drill early to get him 40. He caught a you know toe tapper on the sidelines on the scramble. Uh, we made an adjustment that we talked about uh, like on Friday. On the two-minute drive for explosive gain, and then the other ones were just run, run alerts, uh, mostly. So um, he's, you know, he's such a talented guy; and can still do it. But it's not like we're calling a bunch of plays for him. You know, I, I think uh, none of his catches were on calls where he was the, uh, you know, designated number one on the play. We just got to it based on the look. Okay, because one of the things I was wondering, and tell me if I'm just totally off here, but as Romeo emerges, defenses might adjust to that and try to, he might become more of a central focus of their game plan. I don't know if he's there yet, but I didn't know if that was connected. No, not really. I I think it's, um, you know, it's the matchup. We like the matchup with him in the slot. Um, And a lot of the stuff we had during the week was uh, stuff over the middle of him and Allen and Bobby. Some of it we didn't get to. Uh, Some of it they played a little bit differently in the game. Um, But you know, as much as Kabi makes plays, uh, a lot of it is not stuff where he's getting plays called for him. Aaron, what do you have to do to make sure that your running backs get the touches you want rather than having these games where afterwards you say we should have gotten them? Yeah. Uh, I think the important thing in this game is is staples. You know, you need to have staples in your offense. Does two things. One gives you confidence in those plays when they come in, and two allows the opponent to study those staples, and and then you can run stuff off of that. Uh, we have some staples with those guys in the run game, and some stuff in the pass game, and sometimes maybe that might take you away from it because you think people are working too much on it. But a lot of times it's good enough to to go against uh, a lot of different schemes and coverages. So it's just trusting that uh, you know in those. Uh, RPO looks that will make the right decision and and sticking with some of that 21H personnel stuff probably. There's defense. Oh, go ahead. You said yesterday the path of the standard is the standard. Yeah. Um, 
there's not much higher of a standard than four MVPs. How do you think you are compared to your standard, and what do you expect from yourself going forward? Well, I think I'm playing as well as uh, as well as I can at times. Uh, I expect that that typical stretch coming up at some point where we re- we get really hot. Hopefully, it starts this week. Um, but I think that's right around the corner. Is that frustrating when you know? No, not really. Things around you. Or no. Or yourself or no, I've been I've been around a long time. I played a lot of football, and I know this game is there's ebbs and flows to it, and and it's not going to affect my confidence. Uh, actually makes you over-communicate, I think, because you care about it so much and you want to have success. But I think we're uh, real close to getting this thing going, and hopefully it starts this week. Their defense, Aaron, they got seven interceptions. What have you seen from that group? Yeah, they've, they've uh, you know, got guys who can get their hands on the ball and, and secure it. Um, they have a lot of vision to the football. You know, vision football defenses are always going to have opportunities for tip balls and, and uh Reading quarterback size, you got to, you know, anytime you play against this defense that, you know, kind of started, uh, you know, out of the Seattle system, you know, it's predicated on uh, guys flying to the football and guys having vision of the football. So you got to be good with your eye discipline. You got to be able to look guys off, throw through windows, anticipate throws. Um, but when you got that many guys that visit to the football, naturally there's going to be more opportunities probably for interceptions. I think at three and two, the Jets have surprised some people. But you know they get good players back like Lawson, back at edge, and then you got uh, and Sauce. Like, what's what has that kid shown so far? Yeah, they're good players. You know we saw Lawson get hurt in practice last uh, last year, and you hated to see that uh, for him. He's uh, an important part of their defense. He's a high energy guy. He's a great pass rusher. Stout on the edge, uh, setting the edge for the run. Uh, Sauce is playing good. You know, he's a talented player. Um, like I said, they got a lot of guys with vision to the football, and guys have been making plays on the ball. They got a good mix, I think, of veterans uh, on the back end and young guys who uh, are playing at a, at a pretty high level. The Jets three and two almost feels different than the Packers three and two. What what do you? How do you look at the record? And when do you start looking at the record, the results purely in the standings for you guys? Well, that's expectations. Like I said yesterday, the expectations are really high here. Um, and it's not the same in other places. Uh, I'm a fan of, uh, of not just Zach, but Coach Sala. You know, I got to uh, be around those guys last year for a couple of days. Really good uh, good people. Mike, you know, Matt's brother is, uh, you know, a little shorter, a little uh, calmer version of Matt. Uh, but really enjoy him. Uh, great guy, good staff, uh, good players, but they're coached obviously really well. Uh, they play, they fly around to the football, and I'm not surprised with three and two. You know, I think uh, the kind of leader that uh, that Salah is, you know, when when they get some players in and they obviously added to their football team this this last year and and got a lot better. It's not surprising to me the three and two and playing well. How are the eyebrows one the floor brother to the other? Mats are better. Mats are better. Yeah. yeah. Aaron, speaking of Robert and Mike, um, in 19, it seemed like maybe Matt was a little overwhelmed going against all those guys in that 19 game in San Francisco, um, or at least got more hyped up. It, it, now it's all the time, right? It's Sean, it's Kyle. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, is it different now? Can you see it's different for him than maybe back then? Look, he's going against his brother and his best friend. Uh, this game for sure means more to him. Uh, he does a good job of, you know, not bringing that in. Uh, but Matt operates, you know, at an anxiety level. 
base level of about seven. Uh, so honestly, you can't really tell the difference between a week going against uh, Rob and Mike uh, compared to a week going against guys he doesn't know as well. Mark Murphy told the shareholders, if you got too many noon starts, that means you got a crappy team, and that's not the word that he used. What is the player you like best about this noon start? Get in, get out, get home. Uh, we all love the noon games. Now, look, we, we grew up watching, you know, for, for myself, I was at church during the, the, you know, on the West Coast, so I watched the afternoon games, and then uh, Monday Night Football, there wasn't really Sunday Night Football back then, but... You grow up dreaming about playing on Monday Night Football and then Sunday Night Football, but when you get in the league, you dream about playing at noon because uh, the schedule is just a little bit better on the body, and then you get to get home and relax and watch the afternoon game the second half, watch the night game if you want, have a nice you know, couple glasses of scotch at the end of that. Uh, it's just a little bit better day. Aaron, going back to the deep balls real quick, who's on the teaching teams? Clips. Oh, we all are. Yeah, we all are. Oh, but who's on it? Oh, 87 a lot. 87, 17, yeah. Mostly those guys. Every now and then 85 might pop up, 89 with a contested catch, but 87 and 17 for the most part. So how do you use that then with the guys? Because to me, I don't know, maybe nobody else, but that's really interesting to me how you use that with the current 87 and the current 9 and 17. It's the why. It's always the why. What, what are we trying to accomplish on this play? And... Why do we do it a certain way? So we just get to understand the why to allow us to play free out there and, and react. You know, when a player is thinking, that they're, they're always going to be slower. And they're going to count their steps. They're not going to be free-flowing. And so how can we get them to understand the why of the concept to be able to play free and then react to whatever they see. There's field to any route. There's art to any route running. Yeah. The, the vertical stuff, is there any more instinctual field to, to being able to get on the same page with those than, than another route, or is it just the same? It comes down to a lot of the same stuff. It's all about timing. You know, Like I always say, the most important thing for a receiver is to be open on time, not to run the perfect number of steps or, you know, or initial angle of attack. It's you got to be open on time. So how do I get open if I got five and a hitch timing on a certain deep ball or seven and a hitch timing? Uh, what spot do I got to get to at what time uh, is the most important thing. So that's, that's honestly what we stress a lot in, in those conversations. And it just we got to take it from the meeting room and the practice field to the game field and we'll start hitting some of those and, and putting up uh, some more numbers probably. Is it more with this generation of young receivers than it was maybe 10 years ago? No, I don't think so. The why has always been the most important thing. Uh, it allows you to, to free up and, and play with a clear mind and, and then just react. You know, the best players in this game are, are the smartest players and the most reactive players who can process things in a short amount of time and make the proper adjustment. Uh, and it always starts with the why. And that, what is your reaction to the Devontae Adams incident that happened? And how he I was surprised. I was definitely surprised. Uh, I love Devontae. I reached out to him after the game. I hadn't seen the, the clip yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was surprised. Surprised by the charge or the action? Uh, more the charge. No. No, I don't think so. I don't. Um, 
but the voices that are speaking need to be cognizant of of uh, how powerful words are. And I'm not talking about a job. Matt had said a few weeks ago that obviously you guys would rather learn after a win, but can there be value that you see in, in losing like Sunday's or value to it and what it can kind of do for you guys? No. I mean, <laughs> nothing you can learn from, you know, this loss. That, is it like a, a kick to you guys a little bit or... I mean, it shouldn't be. We shouldn't have to amp it up now that we, you know, lost a tight game. Um, I'm not. It's not a bad question. Um, it's it's something that uh, you know we always have to be wary of what the pulse of the team is. But um, anytime there's a loss, there just has to be an uptick in communication because most of the time, communication is where the void falls with the inefficiency on both sides of the ball and in teams, I'm sure. So uptick in the communication, and and then the accountability's got to be there. All of us got to hold each other accountable and and help us to uh, always understand what the standard is. Matt, the guys coming late, a little later today. Uh, yeah. Yep, we gave him an extra hour. You talked about knowing the Jets pretty well, Thomas, because of the connections with the staff. So I'm just wondering, how often do you keep in tabs with those guys during – during the season, and has that changed at all this year because you're facing each other? Not really. I'd say on a typical week, um, specifically with my brother, I probably talk to him almost every day, just quickly, just check in with him and see how he's doing. But uh, uh, we're not talking quite as much this week. You know, Saul is a guy that I talk to on a regular basis as well. What's the thing about his defense that makes it tough to attack from a game planning perspective? Well, I think w- the first thing that you notice when they when you put on the tape is just the effort that w- they play with. I mean, those guys are flying around. It's very aggressive. The way they teach the defensive line, how they come off the ball, how they attack the football. Um, you know, they do a great job, I think, of scouting people and playing concepts. And, um, you know, it's I, I don't think it's overly complicated in regards to it's not like you're getting a ton of crazy looks, but it's just hard to go out there and consistently execute. Um, they do such a great job of just everybody playing off each other. Their, uh, their secondary's got, I think, seven interceptions. What have you seen from that group? Uh, a group that's around the football, making plays on the ball. They All those guys have, have really good ball skills. So it's going to be important that, first and foremost, that we protect up front, but also that we get guys in the right area and, and our quarterback's going to have to do a great job of progressing through his reads in the timing of the play. Hey, Matt, on the flip side of that, you guys have, what, four takeaways through five games? And you guys have obviously been good about that in the past. What What's missing there? Why is that just it comes in bunches or do you think there's something you guys aren't doing? Oh, I'm sure it's, it, it's a combination of everything. Um, you know, I think there's definitely a lot of things that we can do better. Um, you know, and, and some of it's putting our guys in position. Some of it's our guys playing the technique. And so that's something that we're working through right now, and we're, we're trying to do a better job of that. We know it's an important part of this game, and, and when you're sitting at minus three on the year, uh, that's not good. We have yet to win a tr- uh, the turnover battle in any of these games, and I think a lot of times it's hard to win games like that. So we've got to do a better job. We've got to do a better job of taking care of the football as well. I don't think it's been up to our standard of what we've been able to do the last couple of years. And, again, every year is a new year, and 
um, has new challenges and new people. And uh, we just got to continue to stress that because it is a big part of this game. Hey, Matt, yesterday, uh, Aaron mentioned on Mac, if you show this, Yeah, he's he's not going to practice today, but I don't think we have much concern uh, as far as game day. What have you seen from the Jets running back, Brees Hall? Oh, that guy is, he's a monster. Uh, he can do it in the run game and in the pass game. You guys probably saw he had that 79-yarder. Um, he's just, he's, he's a great route runner. He's got great hands. I know... Just interview, interviewing him at the Combine, he's an impressive guy. He definitely has a lot of confidence, and rightfully so. Um, you know, he's just, he's a problem, not only in the run game, in the pass game. He's a smart guy. Just, they do a good job of finding ways to get him the football, and I think he's, he's a guy that's going to have a, a really bright future for a long time. As Romeo emerges, it seems natural that he's going to get more attention from defenses. He had a quieter day last Sunday, and, and Randall got kind of stepped up. How much of that was by design, and it kind of them taking away Romeo and having him step up, and how much of it was game plan centric? Yeah, I think it was just um, part of the deal in terms of just the ball didn't go his way, you know, and sometimes that's going to happen. And, you know, I thought Randall did a really good job of, of making the most of his opportunities. And certainly we're going to try to get Rome more involved. And um, But sometimes that's just the way it works based on what coverages you're getting. And uh, But he's a guy that we definitely want to get the ball to. Is there any long-term concern with Christian considering kind of the on-again, off-again nature of that injury? I don't think so. Um, but, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because it's – out of his control, and unfortunately, he got he got tugged on a route, and that's why it's such a big deal. Like uh, you know, when these guys get tugged, that that kind of stuff happens, and it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And you know, he, I know he'll work hard to get back as soon as possible. Matt, when you see that this Jets team, when they've gone on the road this year, they've had a couple of big fourth quarter comebacks. How how much does that catch your attention? I think everything they've done catches my attention. Um, you know, they've, they've, you said it, they've had a, a big comeback win in Cleveland when it didn't look very good, and then uh, against the Steelers as well. So um, we know it's a very young football team that we're playing, uh, but they've got a ton of talent, and you can see it. And I think it's a matter of time before they really hit their stride. I, I, again, I know, obviously, a lot of familiarity with with the coaching staff. There are guys that I got a ton of respect for, that I know that are going to do a great job of um, coaching their guys up. And when you do that, and you get talent, um, you know, you, you got a chance to be pretty good. So I think, you know, it, it doesn't happen overnight, but I think you've seen the strides that they made in in a short period of time. It's been pretty impressive. Matt, are you going to have Kylan at practice today? He will be back out there at practice. Yes. Matt, on Monday you talked a little bit about some of those fourth quarter sequences in London and uh, some of the run pass options, some of the run solution checks. Obviously you and Aaron have really good cohesion as far as that goes, but is it more difficult to get that later in games? To get what? To, to get, like, a, if he's going up to the line and, and checking something or if he's seeing, like, on a, those third and fourth down plays, you said those were covered zero. If he's seeing something 
Is that something you want to have the autonomy of the call, or what are you kind of thinking now? No, I, I totally trust everything he does out there. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. When it works out, nobody says anything. When it doesn't, then you get a bunch of questions, and that's the nature of our game, and it is what it is. But as far as, like, you know, I totally trust what he sees out there and, and what he's going to do with it. I told him. I told our team. On, that, on those fourth downs, when it's cover zero, yeah, I know what it looks like. Everybody was talking about, oh, you could hand the ball off. Well, it looks like a punt rush. And if you get stoned at the line of scrimmage, then it's, well, why didn't you throw the ball? So it is what it is. Bottom line is we got to make – hopefully we, we put them in a better position where we have a better – something schemed up a little bit better where you can execute at a higher level. And so, again, that falls on me. i got to do a better job. As what, about, what about in the, the third down play? He was talking yesterday about how he came over and he had a play he wanted to run and you had a play you wanted to run. And – you let him run the play that he wanted. What are those conversations like? Because if, if you have such trust in him, it takes a coach to set his ego aside and say, no, let's, okay, let's run yours instead. And you obviously did that. Yeah, he's got, he's got a great feel. He's been playing this game a really long time. Um, you know, I, I, I like the play that he liked too. So it's, it wasn't just, um, you know, th those conversations happen in such a short period of time too. It's not like we have a can sit down and that's why you, I think the planning part is so important. The conversations on the sidelines in game are so important so that when you have to make a split second decision that you everybody feels good about it. And unfortunately, I, I do think, um, you know, Kabi was coming open on the one. They, they dropped out uh, the backer on the line of scrimmage and he had to hold it a tick longer and Unfortunately, uh, the guy got his hands up and made a good play. So kudos to them. You, you talked Monday about how many good runs you had against eight-man boxes. Has there been any discussion about making fewer can calls, even if it's not the look, and, and just running it in there, giving the strength of your backfield? Well, I think everything that you do is based on probability of, of trying to put your players in the best position possible. And so I think that could change on a weekly basis. Uh, certainly, you know, we're playing against a team this week that in many instances can load, load the box on you. And, um, you know, you just want to try to do what's best for your team and, and to try to put them in the best position possible. And, uh, you know, hopefully it works out. Matt, going back to Romeo, he's talked about all the little things he's picked up from Lazard. And then on that touchdown, Romeo seemed to have like a monster block. How have you seen that part of his game evolve? And how much do you credit Alan for that? Yeah, I think it's the culture that's been cultivated within that room. I think, you know, that's a credit to Jason Vrabel. Um, it's a credit to guys like Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, Sammy Watkins, all those guys that, that hold a standard in that room. And I think a lot of times young guys coming in um, aren't required to necessarily block to that level in the college game. And so Rome's done a nice job. I feel like he's gotten better and better each week in that regard. And yet there's still room for improvement. And so I love his approach, though. And he, he's made some – he made a, a couple critical blocks in that game that I thought were uh, – he did an awesome job on. Hey, Matt, um, you played – you coached against Kyle your first year, right? Yeah. 
right, that first time, and Robert was there. You've done this so much now, right? I mean, Sean and Kyle and now Robert, your brother again. I'm wondering how you've kind of evolved in terms of how you look at these games. Like, were you really fired up in 19 to go up against those guys? And is it is it different now, or do you, to, do you just look to, at it differently? To tell you the truth, I really don't think about it for two seconds. I really don't. It's, it's about trying to prepare our team. It, everybody is just the next opponent. And certainly, it's great to see those guys. It, I, I always joke with Sean, it's, it's like we call it champagne problems, right? I mean, like we're in these positions. Uh, it's a great honor and privilege to, to be, you know, in this spot. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's a pretty, you, you, you hate beating up on your buddy in this league, but it is what it is. It's about, you know, our, our football team. And it's never about just myself or another head coach going against their buddy. Even on game day itself, it's no different? I imagine once you see them. Or... I would say, yeah, in the pregame, it's probably a little bit different. Um, I tend to like to get out a little bit late to pregame and, you know, stay focused on the task at hand and a lot of times you'll get out there a little bit earlier and just say what's up to the people you really care about and I know uh, we're going to have a lot of distractions in my house this weekend I'm, I'm sure uh, in terms of the number of people coming in town so I usually camp out in Lambeau though and, and don't go home until I have to until everybody clears out of there. So you, you really don't want to beat them more. Maybe it's success more about me, but I want, always want to beat my friends and my brother way more than anybody else. Shut those. You know what's up. You're a spiteful man. <laughs> yes. Matt, I know you say don't think about it much, but as kids, could you and your brother ever imagine that this is what you could be doing and facing against each other? No, I, I, I don't think so. I don't. I think. Uh, I've said it before, I've always thought the, the pinnacle of coaching would be to coach at Central Michigan University. So, because, uh, you know, a lot of us are, are products of our, our environment. And with my dad being there and, um, you know, where's your Central Michigan shirt, by the way, Bill? We're coming for you. Okay, great. Um, but, you know, you just, that that's what you're accustomed to. And so, uh, you know, I just think that the bottom line, wherever, you're working uh, in this profession, and you just always try to do the best job you can, and wherever it takes you, it takes you. What do your parents do during these games? Like, which jersey do they wear? That's a great question. I'm going to have to ask them. Two more, please. Considering they just moved here, they better be wearing Green Bay Packers. So. <laughs> can you speak to T.J. Slane's performance on Sunday and his progression from year one to year two? Yeah, he's, he's come a long way. He really had a nice game. Um, you know, he was disruptive. You guys could feel him, I'm sure, in the run game. He was splitting double teams. He was playing with a, with great effort, great emotion. Um, and, you know, that that's the standard, and he put it out there. And so that's what we expect from him, game in and game out. And I, I do think he's, he's, again, come into a great room. I think Jerry's done a great job with him. The vets in that room, Kenny, Dean, have done, you know, just a great job of showing him the way, so to speak, and, I feel like he's a guy that's it's matured quite a bit in over a year. There's been a lot of talk about the standard um, since Sunday, and you also said that you have to demand that standard and that greatness now. What does that look like for you day to day and in these practices? How do you demand greatness? You would think you do that every single day. 
Yeah, we you, you do. It's just, um, you know, all you can demand out of people is to be at their very best. And whatever that is, uh, that's what you got to require. And if you, you feel somebody, like, maybe not locked in or not focused or not giving the, the effort that you know that they're capable of giving, then you gotta, you, you got to have a conversation about it. And that's what we do. And whether it's players, coaches, um, you know, you just got to try to hold each other accountable because we're so dependent upon one another to have success. And that, that's everybody in this organization. That's it for this edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Again, you can listen to full coverage all day long on 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee, your Packers flagship station. My show begins at 7 a.m. We'll also have Mark Daniels drop by in the 8 o'clock hour as well. Packers everywhere with Steve Zabin and Josh Albrecht. That takes to the airwaves at 9 o'clock. Packers preview, Dennis Krause, Mike Heller, uh, James Jones is part of that. Wes Hodkowitz is part of that as well. And noon is your kickoff time between the Packers and the Jets with Wayne Larravee and Larry. Larry McCarron after the game on 97.3 The Game and throughout the state of Wisconsin on the Packers Radio Network. It's Drew Olson and Bill Schmidt with Packers OT. Enjoy the game. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Doug Russell Podcast.